Welcome to Wonderland is proud to support the 2023 Soda City Comic Con. August 19th and 20th, join thousands of fans of fantasy, comics, science fiction, anime, classic games, pinball, and much, much more as they descend upon the Columbia Metropolitan Convention Center. One day and two day tickets are now available for your chance to meet Sean Astin. As well, you can meet actor 90s heartthrob Vanessa Angel. Plus, you'll meet voice actors from your favorite anime series like Attack on Titan, Demon Slayer, One Piece, and many more. Visit SodaCityComicCon.com for tickets and more information. The 2023 Soda City Comic Con is a premier pop culture experience in South Carolina. Get your tickets now. Visit SodaCityComicCon.com for details. Welcome to Wonderland, the podcast where I go down the rabbit hole to research things you may be curious about. My name is Ami, and I'll be your guide on this trip to Wonderland. Hello, my Wonderlings, and welcome back to Wonderland. It's been a little while between episodes, so I hope that you really enjoyed the UFO episode with the All About Nothing guys. As a note, they're actually up for the best local podcast in Colombia. I'm here doing this because they paved the way for me, so I'm sure to give them all the love they deserve. Voting has closed, and it'll be a few weeks before the results are in, but I am super proud of the All About Nothing guys. Other than that, I was on vacation recently, which actually spurred several new ideas for episodes coming up. This one was actually already planned, but totally relevant after being gone for a week. While we were gone, a friend was bringing in our mail for us, and boy did we get a ton of it, almost none of which was anything important or anything we were looking for. As I leafed through the mail, I began to wonder. I 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 wonder. So we're going down a rabbit hole filled with flyers, advertisements, and other mail we don't want to receive. So what do you call mail that you receive but you didn't ask for? Uh, junk mail. Junk mail. Junk mail. Junk. Fire kindling. Um, junk mail. Junk mail. Advertising mail, also called direct mail by the people who send it, or junk mail by the people who get it, is the delivery of advertising material to recipients via postal mail. So what is the purpose of junk mail? Uh, to sell you stuff that you really don't need. I guess just to get the blasted out there and get hope to get any sort of response and um, purchasing from it. Uh, to see thoughts in your head so many times until you do what they're asking you to do. Uh, like go to their store or give you coupons. It's advertising. To sell you something or get you to do something. <laughs> Advertise. Advertising, communication, uh, campaigning. While it may feel like junk mail has no purpose, it turns out it has kind of a complicated history. And if you like being able to get other mail and the existence of the United States Postal Service, then junk mail has a much larger purpose than what you may realize. But before we can get into why junk mail is more important than you think, we've got to go back and down a rabbit hole about the USPS. This trip starts in 1775 at the Second Continental Congress. Benjamin Franklin was appointed as the first postmaster general and worked to provide a more extensive, frequent, and speedier mail service. The post office was created in 1792 with the passage of the Postal Service Act. 
the Postal Service expanded rapidly after independence. Annual revenue increased from $37,935 in 1790 to $1,707,000 by 1829, when the Postmaster General first became a member of the Cabinet. The country was experiencing extraordinary economic progress, as well as expanding its settlements, and the cost of establishing a postal structure to keep pace resulted in expenditures rising faster than revenue. The trend toward annual postal deficits, which began in the 1820s, often exceeded an annual figure of $5 million later in the 19th century. Now, keep that in mind, that the Postal Service regularly made less money than it spent, because we're going to come back to that. When do you think unsolicited mail began being sent? Since the beginning of mail? Since people wanted to advertise their thing. So, like... 1987. Probably as soon as, no, no, they had mail in uh, Europe. I don't know. Early 90s. The day after the election. Which election? Every election. I would say sometime in the 1940s when, when probably the companies were trying to sell stuff for World War II. As soon as mail was mail. Since it, since it was with pigeons. If you're one of those that said junk mail started basically as soon as mail started, you aren't far off. I came across a collector while researching this episode who essentially tries to find old junk mail. He shared some pretty cool images of pieces he's found, and it's truly a sight to see. According to Richard Sheaf of the Ephemera Society of America, junk mail really got its start back in the mid to late 1800s. This was due to the beginnings of advertising agencies. The first targeted advertising actually went to local postmasters. These folks in small towns knew everyone in town, what their hobbies were, what they did for work, what they were interested in. So advertising agencies would send the mail to the postmaster, essentially asking them to pass it along to someone who would be interested. Some were addressed not to the postmaster, but to the leading doctor or grocer, or lawyer in town, and included a note to the postmaster asking him to redirect as he deemed people may be interested. Back then, postmasters were able to send and receive mail for free. Sheaf reports that some postmasters engaged in a side business exploiting this perk, to which Washington mostly looked the other way. Washington has a very strange relationship with the post office. It's one of the few government agencies explicitly authorized by the Constitution of the United States of America, and yet, Courtesy of the Postal Reorganization Act of 1970, the post office, with their regular financial deficits, became a government-owned corporation. The United States maintains the largest postal system in the world, handling almost half of all mail internationally. So this act was intended to improve management and efficiency of the postal service. One outcome of this change was that by the 1980s, the USPS was no longer receiving government subsidies to deliver mail to the nation which meant that the postal executives had to find a way to pay for the service. They had to cut costs and increase volume. Aaron Gordon, a writer for Vice, explains that the marginal cost for each additional piece of mail delivered is pretty low, since the postal service already had to deliver to every household anyway. So what they really needed was for companies to send more mail. In 1978, Postmaster General William Bulger instituted a change that would have a profound impact on the history of the USPS. If a company pre-sorted its mail, the post office would offer it highly discounted postage rates, allowing a company to send more mail for the same price. 
but it was a breakthrough in the computer industry that really contributed to the change in the volume of directed mail received by Americans. Companies were able to do much more sophisticated analysis over who to send what mail to based on zip codes, census tracts, income levels, recent purchases, and a multitude of targeted reasons. By the 1980s, Americans were receiving record amounts of mail. But just how much unsolicited mail do you think is sent? I'd say 99.8% of things I did not request. Probably 75%. It has to be trillions of pieces, I would assume. However much actual mail is, minus about 10%. So 90% of it's junk mail? 90% of what goes in the mail, I think, is probably junk mail. Somewhere between 60 and 80%. Between 60 and 70% of all mail in the United States. To our house, a day? How much do you think it's sent? Like a day, year, or forever. Just to us? Three pieces? Um, I probably millions of pounds of unsolicited junk mail. I'm taking these statistics directly from Gordon's article for Vice, which is a really great article and is linked in the show notes and also on the website. In 1972, junk mail was roughly 25% of all mail pieces delivered. In 1982, that jumped to 32%. In 2019, it was 63%. The number of catalogs sent to U.S. addresses ballooned from 5.8 million in 1980 to 13.4 billion in 1989, a 131% increase, a study on the U.S. direct mail industry found. According to that same study, American homes averaged 4.5 pieces of direct mail per week in 1977. By 1987, they got double that. In 2015, the USPS Inspector General reported each address receives four pieces of advertising mail each day. The inspector general also found that the ratio of advertising mail to personal correspondence each address received per week was 18 to 1. In other words, in the roughly 40 years from 1975 to 2015, American households went from getting 4.5 pieces of junk mail a week to 4 a day. And if you feel like you're getting much less junk mail than this, it might be because you live in a census tract advertisers don't prize, or don't buy a lot of stuff, have bad credit, are young, or have an income below what advertisers think qualify you for lots of junk. So, if you're receiving four pieces of junk mail daily, what kinds of things do you get in the mail that you didn't request? Political advertisements, um, car dealership ads, insurance, solar panels, roofing, um, Chinese restaurants put their menus in the mail, See, applications for credit cards? Will's t- told me that when he's, ch- I'm cheating. Uh, what is it? Uh, groceries, uh, you know, grocery flyers. Uh, oh, uh, coupons, which we use sometimes. Trying to sell you land <laughs> in resort areas. <laughs> Did I say politician? Political. Credit card applications, um, magazines to sell stuff you really don't need and um well fake bills <laughs> that they're they're trying to get you to apply for something instead of just sell you something they yeah they want to get your money credit card offers uh what do they call it trade-in offers on a vehicle when i don't have any want or desire to do that uh, school stuff for online universities okay uh, sign up for these credit cards um, 
here's a bag of rocks, give us a water sample so that we can charge you to treat your water. Flyers for local construction and home improvement companies. Car advertisement. Uh, house repair thing advertisement. Um, I usually don't request things like bills. <laughs> I don't request um, any kind of advertisement of, of any kind. Um, definitely anything r related to automobiles or... Extended warranties. Yeah, anything like that. The examples that Richard Sheaf was able to find from decades ago range from vermin control services addressed to the lady of the house or the housekeeper to calfskin buyers wanted everywhere. Credit card offers, shopping catalogs, val packs, and yes, notices to purchase extended car warranties pile up in our mailboxes today. It seems like a waste, but statistics continue to support the usage of direct mail. About 50% of junk mail is read by the recipient before being thrown out, while about 25 to 30% is discarded straight away, with the remaining 20 to 25% being scanned or set aside for later. And while newspaper advertising is largely lost due to the success of direct mail, there's another form of unsolicited correspondence that so far hasn't caused a downtick in junk mail, but is poised to potentially do just that in the future. And that shift is courtesy of a little thing called electronic mail. So what do you call email that you receive but didn't ask for? Spam. 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 The common name for unsolicited bulk emails is spam. It's a strange name for sure. Why do you think it's called spam? Well, I'm not sure because the first time you asked me, I thought it was the meat that comes in the can. <laughs> and it's actually not bad. Uh, so I don't know why they called it spam. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe to separate whether you're talking about physical or electronic. I have no idea. I've never even thought of it, really. I have no idea what it's called spam. I don't know, because nobody likes spam. Was it named after the meat? I think it's a joke to call it spam because a lot of people don't like canned spam. But I, I, I think that's, that's my theory on why it's called spam. I had a hard time believing this while I was researching, but after many different sites corroborating the story, here it is. Junk mail is called spam, courtesy of a Monty Python's Flying Circus sketch, in which spam, in this case the meat, is repeated humorously and repeatedly throughout the three-minute sketch. Spam, bacon, sausage, and spam! Spam, egg, spam, spam, bacon, and spam! Spam, 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 egg, and spam! Spam, 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 baked beans, spam, 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 and spam! Essentially, spam is something that keeps repeating, creating great annoyance for all around. Given that, the name is definitely appropriate. Who do you think sent the first spam email? I don't know. I don't know. Any idea when? Like how long ago? Since the beginning of emails. 1987. Uh, as, as soon as they got fired from the junk mail department, and they had to go online. I have no idea. Late 90s, maybe? I, I would probably guess Microsoft or, um, uh, or some company that has an operating system out at, at the time that they wanted to advertise their operating system. Email. Mindspring 1991. The first spam message was actually all the way back in 1978. Technically, it wasn't called spam, or even email back then, but a marketer named Gary Thurick 
composed an advertising message for a presentation by Digital Equipment Corporation, DEC, on May 3, 1978, on ARPANET, and sent it to around 600 people. The reaction was negative, and Thork was told not to do it again. And for a while, there were no further issues. In 1986, a programmer named Eric Thomas developed the first commercial mailing list program called Listserv. In 1988, the first chain letter was sent. Also in 1988, spamming starts as a prank in multi-user dungeon rooms by mutters to fill their rival's account with unwanted junk. But the term spam was first used to describe all of this in 1993, when Richard Depew posted on Usenet and a bug in the software caused 200 messages to go out to the news groups. Depew's post was an accident, and on January 18, 1994, the first large-scale and deliberate Usenet spam was sent. The message subject? Global alert for all, Jesus is coming soon, and was cross-posted on every available news group. By April of 1994, the first commercial Usenet spam appeared across newsgroups. Two lawyers, Cantor and Sigel, hired a programmer to get their message to as many newsgroups as possible, and they were not ashamed or embarrassed. They were proud to be spammers and felt like it was genius advertising. They even wrote a book, How to Make a Fortune on the Information Superhighway, Everyone's Guerrilla Guide to Marketing on the Internet and Other Online Services. Spam continued to grow into the 90s, but by the 2000s, spam was a real problem. But why? What do you think the purpose of spam is? Uh, to sell you something or get something from you or invest some money or... Uh, to get you to buy something. The same purpose as junk mail, just to try to get you to click on stuff and jump into whatever they're selling. To try to get you to buy things or to trick you into some sort of scam. Uh, again, just to people off. Advertising, communication, potentially using it to as phishing attacks for malware. To get your attention. At the base of it, spam is advertising. Advertisers wanted to get their message in front of as many people as possible, and the growth of email has allowed them to do it for a significantly lower cost than direct mail. For people in business, it was a no-brainer. But for millions of email users worldwide, it was exhausting and annoying, and they didn't want to weed through tons of other emails to get to legitimate correspondences in their inboxes. Thankfully, in June 2003, Ming Wing Wong started an SPF Discuss mailing list and proposed Sender Permitted From, which would later become the Sender Policy Framework, a simple email validation system designed to detect email spoofing as part of the solution to spam. And the government was ready to take it one step further. Have you ever heard of canned spam? Yes. That is not the food in the grocery store? No. Not if we're talking electronic mail, only if we're talking about food. Yeah. Not the food in the grocery store? No, is it like canned applause? The wheat? No, not from the grocery store. Are you sure? No, I haven't. We have some in our house. <laughs> yes. Canned spam is on the bottom shelf of the grocery store that is... Uh, you uh, cut it into pieces and then fry it with butter and pineapple juice. I'm not talking about the grocery store meat. I don't know what canned spam is then. I'm not talking about the meat on the shelf in the grocery store. Canned spam is a backronym derived from a bill called Controlling the Assault of Non-Solicited Pornography and Marketing Act. President George W. Bush signed the act into law on December 16, 2003, and established the first national standards for sending commercial emails in the U.S., requiring the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, to enforce it. 
The act does not ban spamming, but does impose laws on deceptive marketing methods and asserts that individuals have the right to decline emails. There are three basic compliant pieces of the act. Unsubscribe compliance, content compliance, and sending behavior compliance. I'm using Wikipedia's breakdown here. Unsubscribe compliance dictates that visible and operable unsubscribe mechanisms must be present in all emails and consumer opt-out requests must be honored within 10 business days. Content compliance assures that from lines must be accurate, that the subject lines are relevant and not deceptive, and that a legitimate physical address of the publisher or advertiser is present, and that it is labeled if the email contains adult content. Sending behavior compliance includes that a message cannot be sent without an unsubscribe button, that it may not contain a false header, and that the message should be at least one sentence long and cannot be blank. What penalties, if any, do you think there are for sending spam? Oh, man, I think everyone should go to spam jail. (laughs) There needs to be a spam jail. I don't know. I know there are ways to penalize and get money from um, unsolicited phone calls and do not call lists. There may be something similar for spam and email, but I'm not sure. Well, as much as I get, I don't think there are penalties for uh, for sending out spam. Two dollars. Oh, I maybe uh, you would be um, barred from using the internet for a while, or I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure I've ever heard of anybody being punished well it's hard to catch them also there's none i've tried what should there be public hangings i guess based on the question there's probably some penalties for it but i don't know i guess if if you do then you'd have to give somebody the availability to unsubscribe so by most accounts can spam is mostly unenforced but not wholly unenforced the first person to be arrested under the act was anthony greco an 18 year old near buffalo new york in 2005 Greco was sentenced to three and a half to seven years in prison for sending 800 million messages using stolen identities. He also lost a $16 million civil suit to Earthlink. Other notable instances of criminal prosecution under the act include Nicholas Sombros in 2007, who was sentenced to three years probation and fined $10,000. Jeffrey Gooden from California was convicted by a jury in 2006 and was sentenced to 70 months in federal prison, but it could have been up to 101 years. In most of these cases, identity theft and fraud were also part of the charges. Hundreds and thousands of people were impacted by the malicious acts of these men. How much spam do you get on average daily? Maybe four or five that get through the filter. Of my 2,000 pieces of mail in my inbox, probably a thousand and a half. Every day you get that much mail? No, in general, oh, like okay. over years. So like half of your... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Because it's filtered out and I don't ever go check that box. Daily? What, like 20 or 30? I receive about 20 to 30 spam emails in my spam filter on my Gmail account. I'm guessing I get 50 to 60 emails a day. In my email? Mm-hmm. I don't check my email. I don't even get spam. Nobody knows my email. Hundreds or thousands of victims sound like a lot, but certainly only a small percentage of people are actually defrauded by spam. So just how much spam is sent? It is estimated that 88.9 billion with a B spam messages are sent daily worldwide. With just over 4 billion worldwide email users, that means each person gets around 25 spam messages daily. 
I don't know about you, but I feel like maybe I'm pulling that number up because I swear I get about a billion by myself. So how do you keep from getting inundated by spam? Oh, I just delete that. Google blocks it. Uh, Google does it for me. And not a whole lot gets through, I guess. Uh, Well, I've had my email for so long, but I do not give out my email unless I'm 100% sure of what I'm signing up for. Well, the the email algorithm for certain uh, email providers does filter out a good amount of spam in uh, their services. The email program uh, filters it out. I create filters in Google to automatically delete the stuff that could potentially be something I want that I can go back and look in the trash, uh, or I just unsubscribe to anything that comes in new. Unfortunately, if you're going to have email, spam comes with the territory. But there are things that professionals recommend to help reduce the amount of spam you get. Report emails as spam. Block spam addresses. Unsubscribe. Update your email privacy settings. Use an alternate email address for non-personal correspondence. What other ways do you keep your inbox spam-free? Connect with me and let me know. So there we have it, my friends. Advertising communication has evolved right along with the way we communicate. As technology continues to evolve, rest assured that advertisers will find a way to evolve with it. And speaking of advertising, here's one for the Soda City Comic Con happening in August here in Columbia, South Carolina. Welcome to Wonderland is proud to support the 2023 Soda City Comic Con. August 19th and 20th, join thousands of fans of fantasy, comics, science fiction, anime, classic games, pinball, and much, much more as they descend upon the Columbia Metropolitan Convention Center. One day and two day tickets are now available for your chance to meet Sean Astin. As well, you can meet actor Christina Ricci, also appearing as 90s heartthrob Vanessa Angel. Plus, you'll meet voice actors from your favorite anime series like Attack on Titan, Demon Slayer, One Piece, and many more. Visit SodaCityComicCon.com for tickets and more information. The 2023 Soda City Comic Con is a premier pop culture experience in South Carolina. Get your tickets now. Visit SodaCityComicCon.com for details. The All About Nothing podcast and Barrett Gruber Entertainment and Media will be on site for the two-day event, and we're all pretty excited about it. Maybe I'll do a podcast on conventions to go along with it. What do you guys think? Thank you so much for joining me today. And until next time, be safe, be kind, and stay curious. The Welcome to Wonderland podcast is copyrighted by Amy Bland and is part of Barrett Gruber Entertainment Division. This podcast is recorded in the podcast studio at GOT Sound Studio in Lexington, South Carolina. Any thoughts or opinions expressed as part of this production are those of the host unless otherwise indicated. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow, like, and share this podcast. Find us on Facebook at Welcome to Wonderland, the podcast, and on Twitter at Wonderland underscore pod. To submit corrections, additional information, or requests for this episode, please email the host at Welcome to Wonderland, the pod at gmail.com. Also, we're rolling out a website, WTWLpod.com, and find us on TikTok. Spam, 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 spam,
Hello, podcast listener. My name is Barrett, and along with a couple friends, Zach and Trent, I host the All About Nothing podcast. A weekly discussion about news, entertainment, politics, sports, and more. We give our honest opinions about the information that's most affecting the world. Sometimes serious, sometimes funny, but never not interesting. It's the All About Nothing podcast with Zach King, Trent Clark, and Barrett Gruber. Get it wherever you listen to podcasts or visit theallaboutnothing.com for links. The All About Nothing podcast. It's likely to be the best part of your week.